0: Today's episode is sponsored by Liberty Language Services, here today to bring you a big announcement. Liberty Language Services is excited to announce the launch of its sister company, the Academy of Interpretation, an online education and learning platform for the language services industry. The AOI's mission is to expand access to educational courses while establishing a standard of quality and professionalism. The Academy of Interpretation was founded to address the widespread problem of untrained interpreters working in the field. The AOI offers professional accredited courses for interpreters and serves as a platform for organizations to refer their interpreters for training. The Academy of Interpretation is offering Brandy Interpreter listeners a 10% discount on all courses using the discount code AOI10BTI. This code cannot be combined with any other discounts, but check out the episode notes for more information about the Academy of Interpretation. Liberty Language Services is a woman and minority owned language services company that recently celebrated 10 years of providing language access services, and they're currently hiring freelance interpreters for a variety of languages. To find out more about Liberty or to apply, check out the episode notes. Welcome back to another episode of the Brandy Interpreter podcast. This is Mireya, your host, and as always, I'm happy you're joining me today. Today, I have the pleasure of bringing Giovanna Lester to the show. Giovanna Lester is a conference interpreter, translator, speaker, and writer. She began her career in 1980. She's been president of two Florida chapters, three terms total, and is co-founder of the current one, ATIF. Vice Chair of the National Board of Certification for Medical Interpreters, Editor and Curator of Najit's weekly online publication, The Najit Observer, served as Assistant Admin and Administrator in the ATA Interpreters Division and the ATA's marketing team. She was Chair of Miami-Dade College's Translation and Interpretation Advisory Committee. She loves to write about her careers and has contributed to ATA's The Chronicle, Najit's Proteus, the Najit Observer, and also publishes on LinkedIn. So, without further ado, here's Gio Lester. Giovanna, or Gio, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, fantastic. I'm very happy that we're going to get to talk a lot or a little about some of these topics and then being able to share it with our audience. But before we talk business, how about you and I share a little bit, rather more you than than I, share a little bit more about who you are, Giovanna, who Giovanna was uh, growing up and what did you aspire to be when you grew up? Oh, my.
1: I was a very shy person, a very focused, a little bit of an introvert. At five, I decided I wanted to be a teacher. I fell in love with my kindergarten teacher, so much so that I even introduced her to my first child, who's going to be 40 this year. <laughs> um, after that, as the ears piled up on my shoulders, I decided that uh, I needed to learn a language because as a woman in Brazil, my country where I grew up, I would not have the opportunity to um, have a full profession. I'm talking about the 60s and 70s. The future was kind of bleak for a woman. You marry rich, and that was the recipe for a successful life. Marry rich. Boom. That's it. However, I was considered the ugly thing of the family, so marriage was not in the cards for me. I had to make my own living, so I decided to learn English, and that I was going to become a, an English teacher or a bilingual secretary, so I started to study commercial techniques. It was a course offered at my high school. By 19, I got my first job as a bilingual secretary. Yahoo, it paid off. <laughs> and at 20, I was an English teacher. Oh, so, wow! Tick, 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 tick. But mind you, I was not that call um, oh, laser focused. I was a dancer. I traveled Brazil with my dance troupe. I played indoor soccer. I was in the uh, track team. I played volleyball. I played basketball. So, oh, and also a swimmer. Very active. Very active. The very active.
0: <laughs> what What was it about your kindergarten teacher that that you you felt such a connection to? That through the years, she, she, she remained in your memories and, and, and in contact.
1: She was exactly the opposite of what I had at home. Mm. She could kind of um, break herself up and go to each child with a different approach. Her goal was to nurture, to bring out something of the chi- from that child. Whereas at home, I had my grandmother, my aunt, my mother, the maid, everybody trying to make a household run efficiently. Mm. And we were completely pushed down. Be mm. quiet. Don't yell. Don't run. Don't, 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 don't. Over there, on the contrary, I was supposed to bring it all out. She was the first person who allowed me to do that, who encouraged me to do that, to speak out and be myself. And that translated into love. (laughs) That's
0: right. Absolutely. Oh, wow. That's so beautiful. And, and, and. It feels like she exemplified uh, what the teaching profession could absolutely be like. So I could see why you would you would choose to ultimately become a teacher yourself. Mm -hmm. Now, was the English language something that uh, you saw? I don't know, let's say on TV or what was the the approach in terms of your decision to learning English as your second language? You
1: can blame my dad on that one. <laughs> Definitely. See, he was with the Navy, the Brazilian Navy, and he traveled all over the world. He trained in the US and the Netherlands and traveled through Europe, all with the Navy. So when he came back home, he always had little snippets, you know. Bonjour, ça va bien. Good morning, excuse me. You know, so he always used different expressions from different cultures. And when I was seven years old, he decided to bring home a little golden dictionary. Have you heard of it? No. It's a tiny little booklet, something like a four by five inches, very tiny, called Golden Dictionary. And it was a picture dictionary. In English, there was nothing in Portuguese. Everything was pictures with labels as long as far as the pictures were concerned. You know, everything had labels. So here would be glasses, hand, finger, arm, you know, things like that. And I wanted the booklet. It was so beautiful. And it had words in it. I, I started to read when I was four. So, And I'm talking about books, not children's books, books. So it had words in it. It was cute. And it was small. And it was perfect for my hands. But he brought it for my oldest brother. (laughs) I wasn't happy. (laughs) So I decided I was going to earn the right to hold that book. So English was my way into it. And it kept on going. I never stopped.
0: You said, Giovanna, that you uh, took classes in high school for uh, English classes. Is that correct? Yes. Is 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 that part of the curriculum out in Brazil? In in, is, were you public school first and foremost, or was it private?
1: Public school, and yes, it is part of the curriculum. When you you transition into From middle school to high school, is it? Yeah, I think so. From middle school to high school, you have uh, the opportunity to learn two languages. They are not part of your core curriculum. So you don't get any credits. It's Mm -hmm. just an introduction. Mm -hmm. So you learn English and French. Those were the two languages when I was growing up. Now they offer Spanish before they didn't. This way, you get a, a taste for the languages. And the next year, the following year, you have to choose one to be part of your curriculum. And that one will count for credits. But you can still take the other one as a non credit subject elective.
0: That's so great. Yeah, I hear a lot of uh, um, it's, it's schooling at least. Outside of the U.S., um, where it's almost it's a requirement, really, like to to or if not a requirement, like you say, um, at least is something that is offered and that people are able to to take. I mean, English language, huge deal, I imagine, right? Um, yes. In terms of business and things like that. So you 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 learn the language, you go into language, and what what are, do you feel? It's natural for you. Do you feel finally you're connecting? the golden dictionary in the golden (laughs) classroom, or what was that like for you? Do you remember?
1: I was so thirsty, so thirsty for knowledge, especially where English was concerned. I was the only person who spoke the language in my household. So, one of the things I would do was, um, I'm changing. I wake up. So, how do I say? I was imagining, how do I say, I open my eyes, I raise from the bed, I pull the sheets over, how do I say all that in English? So, I'm piling up all these questions, you know, living, trying to live the language without the knowledge. Mm. And I brought all that to school and I'm asking my teacher before class or after class. I was extremely curious. So, one of my aunts, gave me a scholarship for a private school, a private English school. And I did so well that the school itself offered me um, a scholarship for uh, on English teaching. So after my regular classes, I took a course on English teaching. So, yeah, I I just
0: go right in. (laughs) So then you become a bilingual professional and and through the years, it ultimately end up out of Brazil. Do you recall that situation or how that opportunity came to be? Was it love that brought you outside? (laughs) (laughs) So many stories.
1: (laughs) Remember, I'm very pragmatic and practical. My marriage wasn't going too well. I had a five-year-old son. Actually, no, not five. He was two, two and a half years old at the time. And um, I thought that maybe what I needed to do was shake up the environment we were in. So we moved to the U.S., thinking my husband was American, thinking maybe if I put the fish back into the pond it came from, Mm. things will get better. So that's how I came to the United States. And I came here with a job already set up for me by a friend of his. Yeah. Wow. And that's how things started.
0: You eventually end up with an employer who ultimately begins to utilize you in the capacity of an interpreter, correct? So you're, you're at this point still working with an employer as an employee and begins to utilize your skill sets. Do you remember that opportunity? What was that assignment that you were interpreting to and from in this, in
1: this business setting? Oh, my career actually started in 1979. Oh. Okay, so my, my, I should say my schooling into this career started in 79, still in Brazil. That first job as a bilingual secretary, in actuality, I was supposed to be the representative for American Express in the northern or the eastern Brazil. But that was not the title I was given. I was the bilingual secretary. They collected the, the, the salary and paid me as a bilingual secretary. Oh, but wow. it was my job. And that's when I started to actually use my English uh, professionally. So all the material they had in the office that had to be put into English was given to me for me to translate. And that's how my translation career started. I don't know where one day I come into the office and uh, here we need this in English today. There you go. No dictionaries, no nothing. It was chaotic to say the least. And also when we had visitors coming in, I was the one who would be interpreting for my boss because she spoke German, Spanish, and Portuguese, but no English. Oh, wow. That's yeah, right. she was from Argentina. So, and whenever somebody came from America, I had to sit down and, and be the interpreter in that conversation. Oh, yes, committed a lot of errors, definitely, both in process and in the vocabulary. But guess what? There were no schools in Brazil for translation and interpreting in my, the region where I lived. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Did you know that? Did you know that at that point that you could make it into profession, or you you did not yet know that this could be done professionally?
1: Had absolutely no clue. Had never stopped to think that those wonderful books I grew up reading were not written by Brazilians. I thought it was all Portuguese, you know. Never bothered to look up. It was not, you know, it's a book. It's got words in it. It's for me. Yeah, I devoured it. I devoured everything. But never considered considered um, where that knowledge was coming from, how it got into Portuguese, how it got to my hands. None of it was part of my knowledge acquisition process. Mm. And when I started to do translation work, for me, that was just one of the aspects of my job as a bilingual secretary. It was not a profession. That's a sec- what a secretary does. Right. What about a bilingual secretary does, right. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. And when my boss can't speak a language that I know, yeah, she asks for my help. I'm helping her. Right. I help. Right. (laughs) You know, so that's how it started until I got to the U.S. Then 1985, I mean, five years into this almost, that's when finally I I met, I learned about the ATA. But going back to Brazil, so 1979 to 1982, if I'm not mistaken, that I was teaching English, working as a bilingual secretary. I was also a tour guide to our VIPs. Is this where escort interpreting came to be? Um, I cannot tell you because, not not for sure, because let's say that you came to Brazil as the representative of a company, I would take you, yeah, maybe, yes. I would take you on uh, city tours and tell you about my hometown. I was trained for that. And then if you needed to go to a restaurant or shopping, I would be with you. Yeah. So yes.
0: Yeah. And officially you were already doing a lot of the roles that existed in the profession, right? And and unbeknownst to you. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you, know, you were just doing it as part of like the bilingual secretary role because yeah.
1: you wanted the to The University help. of Life, it is called. <laughs>
0: yeah. I have a PhD.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: So now bring us back to uh you're you're now in the US and you know you've been set up with with the job assignment but you just mentioned that at some point you found out about the ATA. How did that come to be or why what was the what was around the ATA conversation?
1: I was actually thinking about that. I think I found it on the yellow pages or something like that because I didn't have a computer when I moved here. I had no knowledge of computers and nothing. Um, I moved here in 1985. And the job I got was at a travel agency as again a bilingual secretary, doing translations and interpreting for my bosses in that condition. And um I think, uh, using their, their, their connections, I found out about the ATA. They started to learn a little bit about, uh, more about the profession. Um, my very first job as an actual translator started in 1980, April 14. That's my anniversary. I lost the job at the travel agency in Brazil. And a friend of mine who knew I spoke English and read it and wrote it, invited me to help her with a huge project she had in her hands. It was a 500-page grant request to the Kellogg Foundation by a huge Brazilian university. Wow. To go from Portuguese into English. Oh, (laughs) wow. For a submission. Oh, whoa. Here I go. Sure. Why not? Let's go. We can do this. <laughs> yeah. We had an electric electric typewriter without a memory. So she would get the paper and start dictating. And I would go typing. And then when she got tired, it was my turn. I would take over and read it to her. And she would start typing. So we we're doing sight translation. The right. documents in Portuguese, we are reading it in English to the other, you know, and the machine, the typewriter has no memory.
0: How's that for skill sets, guys? Take that. See, we've got it easy now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Holy cow. I remember marking parts of it, parts of the document to go research at the university. We had to do that sometimes. We would go not to the university, I'm sorry, at the library at the main library in in Salvador, Bahia, where I left. Biblioteca Central. It turned into my home for a few months. I bet. Yeah, with such a huge
0: document. But you're already doing the things that naturally a translator should be doing, a professional translator, right? That research, that study, that, Mm -hmm. you know, looking for the context and looking for the information. So, But still, at this point, you had not considered or had you translation as a
1: profession? I was thinking of teaching English as a profession. Translation was just one step into that. Mm. Just one more step was consolidating my knowledge. I was learning grammatical structure, uh, idioms, and syntax, because she had more experience than I did. She was my mentor. Sometimes I would read something to her and she would say, hold on, say that again. Read it to me in Portuguese. Oh, okay. I think this other word would go better in the place. Oh, no, we need to do it reverse. Okay, that doesn't work. Let's study the sentence and see how it can go better. So it was very hands-on and I learned from her and I thought I can use that. And my job as a teacher, and I got a job, was the very first contract by a Brazilian government agency to a private individual to teach English to their management. Wow. was the very first ever in Brazil. It was. I was so proud. <laughs> <laughs> but now
0: you, you, you're in. A- Or rather, you find out about ATA, it intrigues curiosity. Did you go to an ATA conference? Or what ended up happening there to kind of pivot to go from teaching into professionalizing in in that role in the translator or interpreter role? I don't like
1: doing things halfway. I like really learning about it. So I started learning more about the ATA, what it was, researching it. Uh, first thing I did was apply for certification. After all, I know, I teach English, (laughs) so why not? (laughs) My gosh, before I got to the point where I could actually take the exam, I got a job at Bank of Brazil as a bilingual secretary. And the shock, you're asking me about the shock coming here. We have to talk, go back to that one because it was a real cultural shock. Oh, do tell. <laughs> yeah. And I learned then that uh yeah, I knew book English. I didn't know people English. <laughs> two different, two different things, like two dimensions that do not really touch each other in many points. It's like this. Aye, <laughs> that was a shocker. So anyways, I researched the ATA and I applied to take the exam. And I took the exam into English because by then I had been here for 12 years already. I had helped my son getting to school um, and through all the process, I had learned and strengthened my knowledge of English. In the meantime, Portuguese had undergone two orthographic changes already so the language was changed first uh, uh, some accents were removed then uh, something related to spelling was was no longer there and I wasn't sure exactly how to write in Portuguese anymore so it okay. was easier for me to write in English. I took it I passed the night yeah good <laughs> wow and that all
0: within a little bit over 10 years that you know so absolutely when people talk about language as something that evolves there's a great example of you know between the last time you were in school to when you're getting ready to do something professionally the written
1: language had already evolved it's amazing oh yes It had changed for Portuguese. And then in 1990, there was another change in Portuguese that's still very controversial. we using it, started using, I think, 2012. They made it official, but it has been very many. A few countries that speak Portuguese still refuse to use it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to adopt it, I should say. But anyways, so coming into the United States, the culture shock. Uh, My first job was with a Brazilian couple, so I was shielded from it until I had to go to the supermarket by myself. I spent two hours at the supermarket and came out empty-handed. Money was short. And my husband, who always went with me, always made that little comparison of prices based on unit price per unit, price per unit. So you're buying a pound, but how much is it per ounce? You know, Mm -hmm. that division that they put on the supermarket Mm -hmm. label. I never learned it. And money was tight. So I go to the supermarket and I remember clearly, and it's a matter of a joke for us. I stopped at the toilet aisle and you had scented paper, Unscented toilet paper, one ply or two ply, embossed or uh, what do you call, it? decorated. And I go, wait, what, what, what do I get? I didn't know. I like to compare prices, so I went in, I walked all around, and I decided, you know what? I don't want to waste money. I'm not going to buy anything, and left. <laughs>
0: So you're overwhelmed by the options in it. Why is that not the same grocery shopping? See how some of the simplest things we think may not necessarily be so simple when you go somewhere else. OK, so what what how was it different from home?
1: Um, toilet paper. Basically, you have to buy rough or soft. That's it. And that's it. You don't need any more. You know, mind you, I never lived in a sophisticated part of town. So the offerings for me were always those for low middle class to low class income. Wow. Okay. Those two brackets. It was easy, simple. Right. You want a rough feel or a soft feel. That's, That's it. it. Not a problem. Easy choice. Easy choice. Bread. When I walked into the bread aisle, the smell of sugar was overwhelming. I was not used to that. In Brazil, I grew up going to the padaria. That's where they make bread. It's like a, a bakery. They make bread over there. That's where you go to buy bread. And you buy usually the it's a baguette style or a Cuban bread style bread. That's it. And you have sweet breads. And bread's made of corn, made with milk, or salt, and so on and so forth. But the form, you know, this sliced bread, things like that, not my thing at all. So I go, I don't like the taste. I don't like the texture. So, no, thank you. No. And that was, at the time, all they offered at the supermarket I used to go to. Now they have a great variety. and I love their Italian five grain bread. It looks like a little <laughs> football in a ways, you know, mm. oh, delicious.
0: Oh, wow. I know. It's like I always ask about what the culture shock is when when people travel abroad, like, well, what was that one thing that really stands out in their memory bank with regards to the difference in culture of where they grew up? Versus Mm. the new place that they're either visiting or moved to. And Mm. it never ceases to amaze me. Just it really boils down to sometimes the simplest of things, simplest and things that are day to day for us. But then you travel abroad and it's like. Yeah, tomatoes.
1: Tomatoes are sweet here. I never had a sweet tomato in my life. I had to put sugar in it to make it sweet. What do they taste like? Sour? Uh, they're not sour but it's an effect closer to that of cucumber on your food they add a little bit of acidity
0: oh okay but
1: never sweet like grape tomatoes are sweet you know it's so many different things that is culture
0: shock I mean we're talking about food that you know is you grow up with with aromas and scents that always take you back to you know uh, to memories, right? And in your mind, and yeah. and to suddenly not even have
1: that. How did you adapt? Oh, it was a little bit worse than just adapting to different foods. Uh, my diet in Brazil is microbiotic, and when I got here. There was no organic supermarket around me, no organic restaurants around me, no organic products being sold in any place near me. It was a total shock. I had to change my diet and add meats to it. I finally found one organic supermarket a few miles down the road from me, and that was almost a year after I had moved. But... Most of the goods they have there, produce were already spoiled and um, the other products were out of date, expired. So to go there was like going to Ross. You well to look very fiercely oh, wow. with very good, you know, <laughs> lots and point. lots of patience to go shopping. <laughs> exactly. And so expensive. Uh. It was like three times the price of a regular whatever that you wanted to get. You know it was it didn't make much sense for us, so the best option for us was to go back to a regular diet, and that's what we did.
0: Bring us uh, Gio, to to now the moment where you make the conscious decision of of turning what you've been doing for years to a profession. What was that moment for you and how did you begin your journey?
1: Uh, I need help. I'm scrambling to find interpreters for our board meeting. We have a staffed Spanish interpreter, but we need Korean, Farsi, and Arabic. Plus we have a slew of IEP meetings coming up, most of them in exotic languages. I'm calling everywhere.
0: I know what we need. I'm at the perfect translation agency at OCDE's Interpreters and Translators Conference. Certified Interpreting Services. They offer in-person and virtual services.
1: Certified Interpreting Services?
0: Yes. They're professional, warm, and perfect for our diverse districts' needs.
1: How do we contact them?
0: Call or email. It's all on their website, cisinterpreters.com.
1: cisinterpreters.com. That's just what we need. I'm contacting them now. Thank you for calling Seraphim
0: Interpreting Services. This is Jasmine.
1: It was a slow process. In reality, uh, my my second job here in the U.S. was as a um, teacher in a um, after school program. So I learned a little bit more English there, especially with the children. I had an interpreter with me because they spoke mostly Ebonics, and I had the hardest time understanding them. Sesame Street was Sass Street. They spoke so fast, Right. I was like, what? And the guy would go, Sesame Street? Oh yeah, thank you. <laughs> so I had an interpreter with me and I started to look up to him. I go, whoa, cool, I like that. I used to do that, but between two different languages, these are the same, or are they? <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> and um I needed to supplement my income. Mm-hmm. So I did some work in translation at the Bank, Bank of Brazil, where I worked. And that um caused what do you say? Piqued my curiosity. Some people from the Brazilian consulate would call up and say, listen, such and such person needs a document in English, can you do that? And I would do it first as a favor and then they offered to pay me and that's how it became a thing. But prior to that, no. Once I left the after-school program, I was teaching English at Florida International University to foreign students. And there was nothing related to translation or interpreting going there. It was straight English. But when I went to the bank, I had to deal with the Brazilian community. It was a Brazilian bank, mm-hmm. so I had to deal with the Brazilian community. And people would come in asking for help. And as it was the big hunter secretary, that's who they would go to. Mm-hmm. And then it okay, so I can make money with it. I can at first um, increase my income. You know, so I had the salary from the bank and then increase it with the translation work i did um, and also within the bank i also did translation for my boss because we had material that needed to be sent down to brazil like a uh, newspaper articles and i would translate the newspaper articles and send them to brazil and he had to go meet with individuals and he did not speak english so i would be his interpreter and the uh, office itself, we also had individuals from different countries, mostly Latin American individuals who spoke Spanish and could not understand Portuguese for the life of them. <laughs> and my boss sometimes would come and speak only in Portuguese. They felt more comfortable. So... I would gather the employees who did not understand Portuguese at all and interpret for them. So, when the friends came, my boss friend came looking for help with something, I would be the one. I would go and be their court and help them at a hotel or looking for a home or buying a car, or whatever. And that's how I learned the different aspects of it. Eventually, you become a freelance
0: language professional. So through time, through the experience, you you get enough momentum going where you decide to make that jump. And that jump is huge, right? Yeah. Because we go from that security blanket if you will into the unknown and you have to find ways and get super creative to get your name out there in order to attract that business. How did you do that? First and foremost, did you just take the plunge? Did you just say, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen now? Were you forced into
1: jumping? No, it was incremental. Mm -hmm. Everything was incremental. I am not one of those who just go on impulse. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Even if I feel like it, I have to create a process. Processes are important for me. (laughs) Uh, While I was working at Bank of Brazil, again, because of the Brazilian consulate and uh, the institution I worked for, I was approached by an agency. They had a job that involved the DEA. So I would leave the office and go to their offices and do work there, typing away. Sometimes doing transcription, I would listen to uh, wiretaps and transcribe those. And all of this um, is being absorbed as a possibility for more income. Never thinking of a profession yet. Then I I got remarried. I got divorced, right? I got remarried. And when my daughter was born, I had no compunction to allow her to go to a, uh, the place where they take care of babies when they are born. Take care. Uh-huh. Ah, thank you. We have a very different word in Portuguese. Creche comes from the French. Yeah. So I had no compunction to leave my child in the hands of strangers at what, six weeks old? No. Mm-hmm. So I said to my husband, this is it. I have the knowledge, I have the equipment, I have everything I need, I'm doing it. And I did, and I had been making investments, you know, courses, equipment, a little bit at a time throughout, you know, as I said, it's an incremental process. <laughs> and then 1995, yeah, around December 1995, my daughter was born in November. I said to my husband, I'm not going back to the office, this is it, I have a few more weeks of time off, I will stay, I'll get more jobs that way and increase my my visibility, you know. At the same time, we made the decision that I was gonna go to bed at 9 p.m., wake up three in the morning to work until eight. This way I had enough time to rest, And then enough time to do work before the children woke up. Wow. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And stay home with the baby, right? Yeah. And stay home with the baby. Now, earlier in our conversation, you had talked about um, the overwhelm of options at a grocery store. When you begin your freelance work and are trying to create a name for yourself, I think it's safe to say that that's in fact what there is in the profession, right? Like an overwhelm of options in terms of language professionals and making a decision as to who to get based on what. How did you how did you begin to to really strategize your marketing plan or your branding plan to be able to differentiate yourself? from the overwhelm of options?
1: Two things helped me focus. One was the fact that I had been working with the Brazilian Consulate General, mm. not for them, but whenever somebody went there and needed a translation, they would refer it to a list and my name was in that list and that was the first one they would call. So that was great for me. They also knew me through our relationship with Bank of Brazil. So I was the option because they knew me. I was the first option because they knew me, they could trust me because of my association with Bank of Brazil. And then, because of my work in the bank, I went from secretary to controllers assistant, to operations assistant, to private banking officer. I was positioned to work in Translations related to finances and banking, which I did. My position allowed me to network with all the secretaries and all the international banks within Miami, regardless of language. It was Israel Discount Bank and Banque Paribas and Credit uh, Suisse and uh, London Bank and all of them. So whatever material they had, it had to go into Portuguese, they would send to me. And the American banks would send to me material for me to put into Portuguese. I, you know, so uh, and that was very good. So I worked with uh, Bank of Boston, for example, doing all their investment into Brazilian Portuguese. Um, what was it? Um there's Portuguese. There was a Portuguese bank here. I'm trying to remember. Start with the letter E. I can't remember right now. But there was this Brazilian, uh, a Brazilian, this Portuguese bank, Espírito Santo Bank. Oh. So I also worked with them, putting all their stuff into English. Actually, no, from English into Portuguese. All their prospectuses and all of that stuff, the material, marketing material, website material everything going into english so i worked into english and into portuguese concurrently and that helped me that helped to create your brand
0: that helped to to create your your strategic alliances with businesses and as a professional exactly. how did you evolve from there how did you begin to evolve from from that first experience into the geo lester that exists today oh my
1: mostly worth word of mouth because the internet was not a reality then (laughs) it became a reality later you know so yeah so it was mostly through word of mouth that I was able to do that agencies would contact the secretaries and the banks asking uh, who does your work for whatever language it is and mind you in 1988 I was getting 25 cents a word Mm. for Portuguese translation Wow! I don't know many people who now make (laughs) make that The agents, and that's working with an agency, and they offered me that. (laughs) So it's like really, really weird. Things have changed so much. Then when the internet came, it became easier for us to reach others, uh, other markets. But at the same time, it made it easier for agencies to reach other markets where they could pay less. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband introduced me to a gentleman who was the, the owner of a translation agency and I spoke with him, I told him what I did he asked me how much he was charging and his response to me was "You know, if I send this stuff down to Brazil you're going to charge me 3 cents of a real to do it which is about 1.5 cents of a dollar and then I'll pay somebody here another two or three cents to an edit. And whatever I'm charging my client, I'm still making better money than going to somebody here in the US. So I'm sending all my work down now to Brazil. I only work with uh, people doing revisions here, proofreaders here in the US. And that was the 80s. Wow. And that was tough for a lot of people. So the, the, the beginning wasn't that easy after the internet started. Uh, created possibilities and created difficulties, so. But I had a name already in the market here. So it was not that hard for me. Plus I was extremely active with the ATA. That was something that was very important very important for me, as I said i don 't do anything halfway I go in so I was involved with their marketing, I was involved with the interpreters division, the Portuguese language division uh, and that really helped set me apart because my name was there and the their directory. Few people realize the power of associations they have been plowing the land for us. They have been creating a path for us to soar through you know So the work the ATA has been doing for example, is exemplary. Perfect? Oh gosh, according to my grandma, perfection is achieved after you die because no one speaks ill of the dead. <laughs> so, no, it is not perfect, but it is great. want to change it? You can get active. Go of- in, do something. That's what I did. I went in, <laughs> yeah, and it started working to make things different, hopefully better. But it was after my name came out on the ATA directory mm-hmm. that most of my of my jobs started coming from. Thanks to your affiliations with the association
0: and the committees and word of mouth. I I know that you have a passion and a heart for professional associations and you, you just mentioned, you know, it's importance and why the networking aspect you had even brought that up earlier, networking within the organization that you were in made a difference. They helped spread the word by word of mouth back when you know, the, the Internet wasn't available. A digital footprint wasn't made available. All of these things that ultimately came together to support Giovanna, Lester, the brand, the, the the translator, the professional in the field. But then the Internet did come. The Internet did show up. And everything that was created in the non-digital space did not necessarily Uh, get transferred into the digital space. So how did you so quickly then marry the two together? Because earlier you even mentioned you didn't know anything about computers when you first started. You know, that wasn't something that you were necessarily working with all the time, but eventually you did. I imagine with the banking business, you ended up having to work with that. How did you marry from the non-digital space
1: to the digital space to create your brand. Yeah, I took a course on HTML and I designed my very first website using Notepad wow. and raw HTML with pictures and uh, tables and images flying in and out. I feel embarrassed. I mean, I <laughs> don't know. Anything. My
0: website is a cheater. <laughs>
1: No, but that was so. in the 90s, you know, <laughs> you still had Dreamweaver and Front Page; Those are the things you had to use. However, they always put so much necessary code in there, in the back end of the website, made the websites too slow to upload. Uh-huh. So I decided, let me go with the raw HTML and see how it works. And it worked quite well. Actually, it got selected as one of the best translators website by the translation journal in the early 90s. You know. Yeah.
0: Look at you. Wow. That's so amazing. And then now you dedicate, I know that a lot of your time to, to going out and sharing. Um, all the knowledge that you've accumulated through your experiences and and through the networking opportunities. And and I know that 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 plays a huge role in the creation of one's brand is being able to give solutions to people. And that's something that you also have a passion for. And you've spoken about in in many of your webinars, which is being a, a solutions oriented professional, right? Providing that solution. People aren't searching, you said once, for your name because they don't know your name from Adam. They're searching for a solution to their problem. So how can a up and coming professional that potentially could be thinking about branching out and freelancing, create this this notion of, I am a solution to your problem. Where should they begin, would you say? (laughs)
1: Oh, I feel like plugging some colleagues here because (laughs) they're wonderful when they do do that. Uh, You know, they're wonderful at doing that. But first of all, you do have a presence on the internet when you join an association, a professional association, or a directory such as Pros, for example, okay? Translators, CAFE, all of those things, you have a presence, be it ATA, IAPTI, NAJIT, Abrates, you're there, fine. Now, it's a sea of professionals. How do you differentiate yourself? Talk about what you offer people, not who you are. In the beginning, that's the way we used to promote ourselves. My name's Giovanna. I'm a translator and interpreter. I work with Brazilian Portuguese. And nowadays, my website goes with whether it is a life-changing event or a business opportunity, I'll be your voice. That's it. I'm paraphrasing here, I don't remember the whole thing, but basically that's it. I identify your need and what I do for you. Boom. So that's the type of approach that you find being used nowadays. I did not invent it. I've been, I have never stopped taking courses. I take three to four courses a year. Love that. In different things. Right. Marketing, digital marketing um blog writing content writing uh, idioms slangs everything related to my job and through that i've learned the flexibility of your persona the needed flexibility of your persona so your, your persona cannot be fixed you have to change uh, as I mentioned before, I started dealing with tourism. From there, I switched to documents for the Brazilian consulate, from documents, journalistic material for my uh, bosses down in Brazil, from that to financial documents and marketing material for banks. So you are always changing. You cannot put yourself into one niche and close the door. That's it. That's what I do. And now, even my colleague, uh, Kevin, who works with uh, physics, he also does marketing mm-hmm. at that level. <laughs> you know, but he knows how to write copy for marketing for people who deal with chemistry you know, have a, uh, an event. You need to promote the event. They're not going to go to anybody else. They know him. What is he going to say? I'm sorry, but I do not deal with marketing. No, on the contrary. Thank you. Let me take care of that for you. And if you cannot take care of it yourself, you always have a colleague. Absolutely. You're ace in the sleeve. Always. I got a job. That was a giant job. The largest job. Since I started going freelance, and I had programmed a trap a trap during that period of time, so I didn't panic. I had made a commitment to my client. I went to my little, you know, directory, holodecks from the eighties in you know, the rolodex, <laughs> you know. And I went to my colleagues and I said, "Okay, who can do this and that and that and that?" I picked them, you know, selected each one, and I spread it around. I had already communicated with my client. I was allowed to do that. I spread it around. We got the job done within two days of the deadline. So I had enough time to go over all the material and deliver it to my client. In the middle of that, there was material in Italian, material in Japanese. I got my Japanese colleague, my Italian-speaking colleague, and taken care of. The client does not need to know many crosses or how many bridges or how many uh, what do you call rivers you had to jump through to get to the material? They need to know that they can deliver this to you and get that. That's it. they deliver one thing to you. They want to get that, and that's it. The other, that's it. That's what the client needs. You, your job is to make it easy. So, how you promote yourself? How you go from the how to create your brand there are courses there are many colleagues that teach it and they are wonderful anybody interested you can come to me and I can introduce you to them number one number two word of mouth is important number three be active in your association Mm -hmm. the more active you are the more your name is out there if you are not on LinkedIn guess what jump on the bandwagon, go to LinkedIn, yes, (laughs) and write articles. Oh, but I don't know how to write. I don't like to write. Guess what? You can comment on an article. You find an article you like, comment on it. I like this article very much because the writer mentioned A, B, C, D, which are things I'm very interested in. And I was able to learn a lot reading this. Maybe you can too. Put the link there. Guess what? There you go. And you're sharing knowledge. Yeah. You're sharing knowledge. Mm-hmm. People are going to read it. They're going to click it. and are going to like it. And gonna. guess what? Your name is out there. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> they're always. Some are harder than others, but they're always. You can also create your website on um, Wix, on WordPress, on Squarespace. Square Square Squarespace, (laughs) you know, so you can do that. There is Medium, Tumblr, you can write. If you like to write, you can write in those spaces there and be published. Uh, Instagram, Uh, I always talk about Roberta, who is a colleague of mine who's an interpreter who created a whole world of branding, and I fell in love with the agency she works for, works for a very well-known motivational speaker. Mm. So she was able to get access of uh, the marketing material, which shows this speaker going on. And she has herself, her image in the bottom there, interpreting everything he's saying. It's a minute, it's 30 minutes, 30 seconds, but that's it. So you can hear him in the background, low, very low. And you hear her voice in the front, interpreting everything. Within the time, with the motion, she showcases her work Mm -hmm. like that. She's not saying, hey, I'm Roberta, and I am an interpreter, and I am good. No, she's not saying that. She's just putting on your face. Here. This is what I do. This is what I do. Right. There are different ways of doing that. I don't have the know-how. I wish I did. I would do the same thing because she's good. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love the work I do.
0: Yes. Yes. I really love that. If you could think now and go back in time to the Gio that was just beginning her trajectory, her professional trajectory in in the profession. What would be a piece of advice now through your knowledge, through the experiences that you've learned, that you would go back to give to younger version, Gio Lester? If you
1: live in the United States, get hold of of the SBA, Small Business Administration. They have a load of material that will help you navigate the freelance world. It existed then, so I can go back and say that to her. Most of the other supporting material is available only now, only recently. So to go and say, go to a professional association, go to the SBA and you'll be set for life. No problem. Nowadays, people, please, yes, go to the SBA, there is a freelancers union, also loads of resources, the NASE, National Association for the Self Employed. They have a lot of material available. They offer health insurance and other types of insurance, discounts on different services like uh, UPS and DHL, you know, and you should be able to find a lot of things there. That will help you grow your business through those, you know, pro- professional agencies, the Small Business Administration, the National Association for the Self-Employed, and uh, Freelancers Union. A lot of material available to you.
0: Any new or future projects that you're going to be working on or are working on that you would love to just throw out there in the universe and
1: let the people know it's coming. <laughs> Oh, wow. Well, before I go there, I'll answer that question before I go there. Is it okay if I mention colleagues who have marketing websites?
0: Absolutely, please. We were talking about networking. If this can be okay. a space for it, then where can we? Go for it, Jill.
1: Okay. Let, let me put it on the chat because, yeah, there is Madalena Zampalo. I love her. We had her as a guest. Oh, yeah. She is great. Tess Whitty. I think that's how you spell her name. If it's not, please check. There may be an H somewhere. Tess Whitty is also great. Uh, Corrine McKay. I think it's M-C-K-A-Y. Yeah. Corrine McKay is also great. Only women. I don't know men who are doing this type of work. Sorry, I'm man. really sorry. <laughs> you got to go do your own networking
0: and then come on the show and let us know.
1: <laughs> you know, but those are, all those great are the ladies. ladies mm. Those three ladies I trust. Uh, and they work with teams of professionals. So mm. you can just extrapolate that trust to their teams of professionals and work with anyone within their network those are all people who have proven themselves to these wow well, incredible ladies so yes. yeah
0: yeah it's incredible to say the least I can I can vouch for I've not yet had the pleasure of meeting uh, Tess or Corinne yet although now that you mention them I make sure to be reaching out to them but mm-hmm. Madalena is an incredible human being and I hope she doesn't mind that I say this here. Um, and she will definitely make the connections if needed. So thank you for mentioning that because yeah. absolutely the power of networking and how supportive these these women. and I, I feel like in my experience, most women that I've reached out to in this profession have been uh, just so humble and and so loving and so giving. And it makes such a difference when someone is starting and is very hesitant to begin. To find such an embracing community, is it just makes a world of a difference. So thank you for sharing those names. I'll make sure that, you know, we connect some links or something to them if they don't mind. Oh, no, I think they will be grateful.
1: The other thing is, uh, what am I planning to do? July is my last month as president of the Brazilian Association of Translators and Interpreters. That's going to be a big shift. And I'm going to switch to assisting them. We are creating an advisory council. So I'll be advising the new board on whatever they need. We're going to go from there. We want to continue doing this. I intend to continue giving presentations once that part of my responsibilities are over. You know, No longer president. Yay. Oh. <laughs> Uh, I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. But it's a volunteer job, number one. And I'm, I dedicate about, I don't know, five to eight hours a week to it. It's not that much, but it's very involving, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, demands a lot. Right. The responsibility, and, I imagine. Yes, yeah. there is a lot of responsibility. So I am thinking of, I'm a candidate at IEC right now. So I hope I'll finally be able to make the transition from pre-candidate to full candidate.
0: (laughs) What does that entail? What does it entail to be a full candidate?
1: You need to have a certain amount of hours of experience, which are blow by thousands. That's not a problem. (laughs) However, you need to be working with individuals who are also IEK members, mm. not pre-candidates, but IEK members yeah. who can vouch for you. Say, yes, I work with this person in this project. And, you know, so I need that. And Thank that's you. what I'm going to be focusing on. See if I can get that and yeah. go forward from there. I want to focus more on my interpreting work. I really mm. like it. I've been working with uh, remote simultaneous interpreting since 2016 before it became a fad. (laughs) Before it became a fad, I like that, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I worked with a company that is no longer with us, HEDVOX and Kudo. Kudo was just starting. uh, They helped me with an event I was doing. I showcased both companies. One of the things I have (laughs) very clearly a business view of what's going to happen. I can see clearly. So when I heard what they were doing, I'm talking with you and I'm getting goosebumps. When I heard what they were doing, I was like, whoa, this is a game changer for the whole industry and the profession, Mm. both. There will be ramifications from that that people can 't see now, so I try to connect them with uh, companies like uh inexpo cvent uh, v fairs etc that promote online meetings and telling them you know this is the people we need yeah. to be talking with. Their response was, "Nobody's asking for that it's a baby." Less than three years old. Nobody's going to be asking for it. But, Come on into the market now and you'll be ahead of the game. Exactly. Nobody heard. I don't have a name as a business person. I have a name as a translator and interpreter, right? So it's a big difference. But unfortunately, I have this. It's like Cassandra. Remember Cassandra from the Greek mythology? <laughs> Nobody believed what he, she said. Oh, my God. But then four years
0: later, what happened?
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And um, we held the event in 2017. As I said, we showcased both Kudo and HeadVox. It was very good. We had incredible speakers. But uh, I was not able to continue the event going. Plus, there was no need for a special event because every event became remote. <laughs> but, you know, but mine was the very first remote translation interpreting event with simultaneous interpretation.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, we had two panels plus the uh, head that the, the um, keynote speaker was all simultaneously interpreted. That was neat.
0: Yeah. And then that's all we do now. <laughs> Mostly it feels. <laughs>
1: yes, that's what we do now. And one uh, another thing that is extremely important for today's professionals to understand is that every tool that you have to acquire in order to provide a better service, that's a business expense. That should represent an increase in your fees. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yes. We have to talk
0: about fees and fee structures and getting out of our heads when it comes to pricing. I mean, yeah, that's a whole other episode, isn't it?
1: Yeah. It is a whole other episode, but people need to be aware. Both the uh, users of services, the providers of the services, and there is such a misunderstanding out there. Somebody was asking me, why am I charging full price for the service when I'm going to be speaking only half of the time? Yes, I'll be speaking half of the time. The other half, I'll be providing support to my colleague. I'll be listening attentively and I'll be taking notes for her or him and I'll be passing notes. If she needs water, I'll be there to give it to her. You know, if she starts coughing, I'll be able to take over because I'm paying attention. I'm still working. working. I'm just resting my vocal cords because they cannot go forever. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's not nap time.
1: Yes. And when you walk into the booth, you're there to finish a job that started two weeks before when you're doing your research, developing your vocabulary, checking the speakers to see about Uh, linguistic vices and styles and speed, we don't just walk into the booth and that's it. No, the light turns on way back then and stays on and turns off when you leave the booth.
0: Giovanna, it has been an absolute pleasure having the opportunity to have you here on the show today and to have you share your vast knowledge and experiences with today's audience. I hope that we are able to at some point connect again and chat a little bit more about a lot of these important things. But in the meantime, I thank you so very much. And before I go or before we go, where can our listeners find out more about you and the
1: work that you do. I'm on uh, LinkedIn and I'm also on Twitter. I think Twitter is best to find out about me. It's uh, twitter.com/slash cariobana. I'm writing it down. See, I was born in Rio, so I'm a carioca, but raised in Salvador, so I'm a baiana. Oh, <laughs> cariobana,
0: cariobana. I love it. That's that's
1: the Twitter handle, right? That's my Twitter handle. That's where I talk mostly about my work.
0: Very well. Make sure to include that link also in the episode notes for anyone that is interested in connecting with Yovana. Again, Yovana, thank you so very much for the opportunity. I very much appreciated our conversation today, and I'm definitely looking forward to sharing it. Thank you so very much. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the very end. If you'd like to connect with me, head on over to the website, brandtheinterpreter.com and click on the connect with me tab. You can also stay connected on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube as brand the interpreter or Mireya Perez on LinkedIn. Till next time.